It's June 13, 2023. Time for episode 226 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Well, 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 the big night in sports last night, the NBA Finals, the Denver Nuggets win their first NBA championship in 47 years of existence. They win the game 94-89 over the Miami Heat to win the series four games to one. So a lot of... A lot of history, a lot of things to kind of go over here, but let's kind of go through some of the historical pieces here. First of all, for the franchise, um, in this final, so leading up to this final, it was the Clippers and the Nuggets who had never been to the final. So both of these franchises were uh, formed prior to 1980. So the Nuggets, whether they wanted or not, could write their name, take their name off that list. They become the second former ABA team to win a title. San Antonio was the first. And of the ABA franchises, the Nets and the Pacers have both been to the finals, but they lost. Um, as far as the some pieces from the game here, Nikola Jokic, he is the finals MVP. 28 points, 16 rebounds, and four assists last night. So check this out. He's the lowest drafted player to win finals MVP. So in 2014, he was drafted in the second round at number 41. Previously, the lowest draft pick was Dennis Johnson, who was drafted 29th in 1979. We all know DJ went on to have a stellar career uh, along uh, alongside uh, Bird and and, and Parrish, uh, Robert Parrish and uh, Kevin McHale, winning those titles in Boston in the 80s. Um, he is also the third second round pick to win finals MVP. He joins Dennis Johnson and Willis Reed uh, in that uh, in that company. He averaged a triple-double for most of the postseason leading up to the finals. Now, for the game, the Nuggets. So when you watch this game, you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe this goes a six-game. And in my head, I'm going, maybe we'll get a six-game. My prediction will be true. But I did pick the right team. <laughs> and I think if this were Boston and Denver, I probably would have uh, probably would have um, picked Denver uh, as well. But as you watch this game, you notice the Nuggets. They didn't shoot very well. Um, especially behind the three-point line. So they missed 20 of their first 22 three-point shots. They shot 18% for the game. They typically average about 30% uh, for the entire series. And their 6.7% three-point three percentage in the first half was the lowest in NBA history for, well, I think it was a minimum of 10 shots, lowest in history. And they missed seven free throws. So something was not quite right with these guys and and i think uh, i believe mike malone kind of mentioned this that you know he kind of was like okay he's a little concerned about these guys going into you know a championship clinching game you, you know you you're in the driver's seat for most of the series and you've got you know you've got more opportunities i mean at that point it was three to one so okay what happens there's a sixth game you get one more opportunity but you know it seems like that they were just didn't seem quite right. You know, you're probably a little nervous, a little jittery. Um, you know, you got that feeling, you know, we all we got to do is play uh, a good 60 minutes of basketball and we have a world title. Um, also, Jokic, going back to him, he was in early foul trouble. So he sat down with two fouls in the first first quarter. Then they put him back in the game. Um, turnovers were an issue. So I believe the Nuggets finished with 14 turnovers for the game. So all those pieces were starting to make it look like, and then of course, you know, Jimmy Butler did his thing. Uh, Bam Adebayo had a big game and you kind of thought, okay, maybe this goes to six game, but second half, totally different story. 
Um, the The shooting percentage, as I said, wasn't great. But here's the key piece. What do champions do? You make the right plays. At, you make good plays at the right time. So they made clutch three-pointers. Their defense turned into offense. They got transition points. So either going to the basket or making that pass out to the wing and getting a three-point shot. So um, the Nuggets just – that I think that was probably the best game of the series – and the Nuggets just found a way to grind that thing out and win their first title. So congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. And <laughs> after, after the game, I'm thinking to myself, man, Denver's one of those towns where they have, for lack of a better, uh, lack of a better way to put it, they have a liberal marijuana law. So um, let's just say the the party is going to be a little bit more lit in Denver than it would be anywhere else. So, but congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. And the conversations are starting. And, and you know, and I'm not surprised. I mean, it, it's it's I think it's worthy to have that conversation about Nikola Jokic and his place uh in NBA lore. I mean, he's got, you know, couple season MVPs as a final MVP. He's got uh, an NBA title. Now the question is, you know, you know, where does he sit in the pantheon of great players? And he's you're he's not he's an atypical player, but in some respects, you kind of say what NBA player isn't atypical from the standpoint of you know, basketball and its current iteration, as we've discussed here, and you've probably heard these conversations that um, you know, you know, if you're a wing player, you know, or if you play down low, if you're a post player, you can step out, and hit the three. If you're a guard, you're a big guard. You can step out, hit the three. You can post up somebody. You know, it, it's you know, the, the game has changed, and I feel like in college, I feel like that makes college interesting. Um, in the pros, I think that kind of, and, and I don't know when that shift happened. I'd have to really do some thinking about when that shift happened but for the most part that in college that you see it makes these guys interesting in the pros because then it adds another layer about okay well this particular player's skill set if they're very versatile then what offense what system what team would they complement or play best at and really we all know that's a lot of different things you have to think about in that regard but for Jokic first of all very hard to defend. I mean, Miami was doing a lot of switches on him and they were putting players on him and you go, it's an obvious mismatch, but you know, he really just looks unguardable. Like he just, you know, bull in the China shop. I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, but I mean, he also just has this nice finesse about his game. I mean, he does so many things well. And, and, and also ESPN did an article about the finals and they put all of his, crazy statistics i mean too many of the list i mean what he's the first player to lead in what three major statistical categories lead the league in three major major statistical categories and so on and so forth i mean his Jokic's story his lore i mean you think you know a guy who was uh drafted 41st you know you think okay what are the chances this guy is gonna lead a team to a title and boom here you are but again it's putting him on a team, building a team around him. I mean, just brilliant work by uh, by Denver to put a team around him. And, and, you know, he's such a he seems like he's such a selfless player. Um, you know, he you know, he was he was asked so many times about the MVP situation. And he basically said, you know what, 
really don't care about that. It's about the team. It's about what we're trying to do, having a singular focus to win a title. And, you know, I, I really admire that. I mean, great. In, uh, you know, individual, um, individual accolades are great. But at the same time, too, when you don't get them, you know, you, you hear the rumblings from certain players or certain players have these moments, these outbursts, what have you. But I say this, anyone who basically thinks more than, hey, if, I, if you think that I am the best player in the league and you want to honor me that way, great. If you don't, that's fine, because at the end of the day, you've got other opportunities and other seasons to win uh, win the MVP. But to go to the finals, to be the finals MVP, to win a championship that is really, I mean, let's face it, that is the goal of every player that wants to play in the NBA. They want to be in that position, whether they are the first guy on the bench, whether they're a contributor. I mean, you got plenty of guys that got rings and you go, well, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, no disrespect. It happens that way. Everybody plays a role. But I think to win a championship, you kind of have to be, you have to have that mindset. You have to have that ability to be unselfish in a number of ways. I mean, it's not, you know, what is it? There's no I in team that all, you know, that all that old adage, or, you know, it's not about the we it's a, it's not about me. It's we, let me correct that. It's not about me. It's we. And so seeing how many guys who, uh, who are on that team, who bought into that, uh, some of these guys have been playing in, in Denver for a while and, you know, just, you know, just haven't been successful. But to kind of see it all come together to coalesce, um, I mean, that I can't imagine the joy and the happiness that these players are experience, experiencing today because of the we, not me. Um, as far as Jokic is concerned, I think, you know, he has been in the conversation. I think he gets more into the conversation now as far as, you know, great players uh, in today's game. Um, you know, even, you know, someone like LeBron James basically, in so many words, has said, you know, he recognizes is and does recognize the fact that Jokic is a very gifted player. And I think we all recognize when we watch him play. And for anyone to say that he is not a top player or someone who doesn't, deserve that kind of recognition for not being a top player i mean i think you're being a little short-sighted but all in all the ability to put all the the, the noise behind them about not winning an mvp hell has he got two of them already what's another one but he got the one that mattered he got that finals mvp and congratulations to him again the nhl the stanley cup finals game five tonight 8 p.m tnt in las vegas the golden knights have the opportunity to second time in the, in the stanley cup finals their first chance to win their first cup they lead florida three games to one so you know the stanley cup at this point the stanley cup is going to be following them around stanley cups in the house in vegas so ready to be awarded to the Knights if they win tonight. So uh, will I be able to recap this? Maybe. We'll see. Um, as you know, my tradition, once the NBA Finals ends, that is the midseason. So you may hear from me on Friday. We'll see how it goes. But if you do not, we will recap the Stanley Cup at some point later on down the line. Um, but we'll kind of talk all about that in a moment. 
horse racing. The 155th Belmont Stakes went off on Saturday. So um, in doing so, it was also the 50th anniversary of Secretariat's big win to win the Triple Crown in 1973. So as I've told you over and over and over again, one of my favorite sports movies is Secretariat, the Disney movie with Diane Lane. I mean, fantastic movie if you've never seen it. If you like horse racing, if you want to know the story, because Secretariat's story is a very interesting story. It's it's based off of a coin flip, if you will. I'll, I'll just say that much. And the rest is history. But the chestnut colt um, just, you know, took America by storm. And, you know, so much trash was talked about Secretariat, you know, winning the Kentucky Derby. No big deal. Winning the Preakness. OK, but then then. As we call it, the test of the champion, the Belmont Stakes, the longest of the three races, one mile and a half. And Secretariat not only won that race, but won that race in the fastest time still on record and won that race with time and space to spare. So there was no doubt in anyone's mind on in the Secretariat camp that that horse would be great and still is the greatest of all time. In this race from this past Saturday, Archangela wins the race by a length and a half of a forte, ran one and a half miles in 229.35. Third was Tappet Trice. More history in this edition of the Belmont. This is the first Belmont win for J uh, jockey Javier Castellano. So if you recall, he won his first Kentucky Derby aboard Mage uh, back in May. And this is the first win in a triple crown race by a female trainer, Jenna Antonucci. And she was just over the moon when uh, Archangelo crossed the finish line by a length and a half. So congratulations to everyone in that camp. No triple crown winner this year. But hey, we, we had a great time, didn't we? And of course, with all the things going on in Canada, there were, you know, some uh, worries that the race would not go off, but the race went off without a hitch. Uh, the air actually cleared up around, well, I think around Thursday uh, here in the DMV. We're back to a code yellow, which is great. Um, but uh, it, it was a very interesting Triple Crown season. Still a lot of tragedy on the on the race on the race horse uh, race track. Rather, um, there were what uh, several there were uh, when another horse was euthanized at Belmont. A few more were euthanized uh, within days of the race, and there have been still some issues at Churchill Downs. So horse racing, although still considered, you know, the sport of kings uh, in, in the U.S., is still undergoing a lot of transition. And so we'll kind of keep our eye on that as we get into, you know, kind of the post uh, Triple Crown uh, season here. And then we'll have the Breeders' Cup coming up uh, in October. Let's move over to NASCAR. Martin Truex Jr. wins the Toyota Save Mart 350 at the Sonoma race course, road course rather. He led 51 of 110 laps. This is his second win of the season. Now, Truex, this is a course that he has tamed a number of times. This is his fourth win at Sonoma. He is second all time behind Jeff Gordon, who has won there five, who won there five times. Um, in the race, he held off Chase Elliott after passing him on the final restart of the race. Then fought and held off Kyle Busch for the win. Kyle Busch second, Joey Logano third, Chris Buescher fourth, and Chase Elliott fifth. Truex now leads the point standings at 525 with those two wins this season. William Byron is second at 512 points. Ryan Blaney and Ross Chestain are third with 501 points. 
next race. So as we said, this Sunday is Father's Day. No racing for NASCAR, but they will pick up again June 25th for the Ally 400 at Nashville Super Speedway. So this is now the 10 race sprint to the playoff. They'll go 300 laps, 7 p.m. on e- on NBC. So as we talked about last show, this is the week where NBC will NBC and USA. So check your listings. Some of these races will be on USA, but they begin the end of the season. NBC will take over the remaining coverage of NASCAR until the season till end of the season through the playoffs. When we come back, we'll talk a little French Open. Uh, we got college baseball. That has been very exciting. And, of course, we got some golf with Father's Day weekend coming up. We'll talk about the U.S. Open that will be starting on Thursday. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back. Let's go to the French Open. Um, Iris Wyatek wins her third French Open title this past Saturday. She was was the the defending champion. Um, She wins over unseated Carolina Muchova, 6-2-5-7-6-4, for her fourth Grand Slam title. And she joins a elite group to uh, have started their major career at 4-0. That would be one Naomi Osaka and one Monica Selish. On the men's side, Novak Djokovic wins his 23rd Grand Slam title, so his third French title. He is now first all-time. He uh, breaks the tie with Rafael Nadal. Um, He is also the oldest champ of the French Open at 36. He beats Kasper Rudd, 7-6-6-3-7-5. Novak Djokovic is also halfway to a calendar slam. That hasn't been done since uh, Rod Laver in 1969, so uh, we'll see how that goes. And I forget how that works because I know it's 
I think was it you win all four in one calendar year. So as opposed to winning the four, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's it's weird. It's different than a regular Grand Slam. But anyway, who cares? Uh, <laughs> but that is significant. Sorry. It's just I had it in my mind. I knew how that works. I've, I understand the dynamics of that. But then I go, wait, how does that work? Again? <laughs> I didn't I didn't really take the time to work that out in my mind. But anyway, um. So now we start grass court season. Uh, so the tune-ups for Wimbledon have begun. I think uh, the women and the men, I know the women are in Nottingham, but there'll be a number of uh, different tournaments, Stella Artois and so on and so forth. Wimbledon will start on July 3rd. So the grass court fortnight, the all wearing the all white and blah, 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 blah. But, but to be honest with you, of the four majors, Wimbledon has always been my favorite. I I don't know, watching it as a kid and just kind of, I don't know, the, the way NBC covered it, the hustle and bustle and, you know, showing all the different courts and how it all comes together, rain delays, which tend to be uh, not much of a thing anymore, simply because now they, they have a, a covered stadium uh, that they play in uh, center court. Um, but Wimbledon has always been one of my favorites. And, you know, even as a kid, I started to get into tennis and I kind of dreamed of playing at Wimbledon. But then as you get older, you realize grass is a pretty fast surface. Um, but nevertheless, um, I, I'm excited. Um, we'll, we'll be definitely tuning in uh, a little bit more. I haven't watched as much tennis as I would like to have at least for this particular French Open. I think I watched more Australian, but I haven't, didn't watch a whole lot of the French, but definitely I'm looking forward to Wimbledon. Some news and notes from tennis. Beatrice Haddad Maya becomes the first Brazilian woman to reach the WTA top 10. So she became the first Brazilian woman to reach the French semis in 50 years. I believe she beat Antobor in the quarters, and I believe she lost to Iga Swiatek uh, in the semifinals. So um, so that's kind of your tennis update. But again, we'll get all back to everything tennis and otherwise a little bit later. Let's go with the college baseball last night. So we had uh, some super regional action. So some super regionals that went a little bit long. So some were tied. And I believe uh, one had a weather delay and had to delay a game, blah, 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 blah. However, Number eight, Stanford over Texas, seven to six. Stanford wins their three best of three, two to one. The Cardinal win on a walk off after the Texas outfielder loses the ball in the light. So the Cardinal, they advance to yet another uh, College World Series. Tennessee over Southern Miss, 5-0. Tennessee advances. So let's look at the College World Series lineup. That will start Friday in Omaha. So this is the double, eliminate, double elimination round. Game one. 2 p.m. ESPN, ESPN Plus, or Roberts versus Texas Christian. Game two, 7 p.m., same channels. Number seven, Virginia takes on number two, Florida. Saturday, game three starts at 2 p.m. ESPN, ESPN Plus. Number eight, Stanford versus top seeded Wake Forest. Game four, Tennessee versus number five, LSU, 7 p.m. So with this double elimination round, what ends up happening is on Sunday, 2 p.m., the first game on Sunday, will be the loser elimination game. So the, the the loser of game one takes on the loser of game two. That will be an elimination game. And 7 p.m. will be the winners of game one and two. Uh, game one winner versus game two winner. 
Monday, they'll do the same thing for games three and four. So two, uh, I think 2 p.m. on Monday, it'll be an elimination game for the losers of games three and four. And then 7 p.m. will be the winners of games three and four. Let me tell you something. If you haven't been paying attention to college baseball, Wake Forest, they can hit the ball. Uh, one of the young men, I didn't catch his, I forgot his name, but I believe he had, he has broken the ACC record for home runs this year. But um, in in the two rounds, Wake Forest has greatly outscored their opponents. So one thing you can rest assured of, if your pitching is not on point, Wake Forest is going to eat you alive. We can say the same thing about Virginia. Virginia dropped their first Super Regional game at home to Duke then came out and pounded them in two games. And even the game on Sunday, they managed to get out to you know, a little bit of a lead. Duke kind of took the lead. Virginia ends up leading like uh, 11 to 2, and we're still hitting home runs. So Virginia is one of those teams you got to watch out for, Wake for sure. But you think about Florida being the two seed, LSU being the five seed, those are definitely two teams that I wouldn't be surprised if they came out on top in this. But again, the one thing about the College World Series, and, I, and I've always said this about baseball, you never know who's going to win this thing. I mean, this is a total crapshoot. I would love to see UVA win this thing, and they have a good chance to win it, just about as good a chance as anybody else. But you got Oral Roberts, who basically been the world beaters and just really just been knocking out teams left and right. They could be on top of this thing. Um, Tennessee, they can hit the baseball they were on the ropes against Southern Miss. Again, this thing is wide open. I am going to be watching it for the fascination of who's going to be, in, who's going to end up in the best of three championship series. But get your popcorn, folks. This College World Series is going to be fantastic. I don't, I can't really see personally any one team that's that's more so that's better than the other. Like I said, it's all about the pitching. Um, I, I, I think Wake has a great chance. Um, Stanford, I think we'll give them a series. I mean, we'll give them a game on Saturday night. But again, check it out. You got a lot of good teams here vying for that national title. Let's move over to golf. Let's start with the ladies first, the LPGA. So in two weeks, we have the second major of the year, the LPGA championship. NG Chung is your defending champ. They'll be playing at the lower course in Baltrasol in New Jersey. Um, and then three weeks from now, so the week after that, they're going to go back-to-back LPGA Championship or the Women's PGA Championship, which I'm going, that's the dumbest name ever. Once it's called the LPGA Championship, but no one listens to me. Anyway, U.S. Open will be at Pebble Beach. Minji Lee is your defending champ. So a couple names I'm going to throw at you. I'm going to throw some names at you for the, for the Men's U.S. Open. Uh, remember that Lilia Vu, so in her first start in a major, wins the Chevron this year. Again, I think, you know, she's a name. She's one of the two names I'm watching. But I'm going to tell you, with LBGA, I really think you've got a bevy of really great names, a bevy of former champions, so much great talent in the field. But I really think that it's pretty wide open. But I'm looking at Lilia Vu, and I'm also going to be looking at Rose Zhang. So Rose Zhang, 
a few weeks ago, about three three weeks ago or so, three event, three or four events ago, she became the first golfer to win an event in her debut on the tour. First time since 1951 that it happened. She had just come off winning her second straight national title at Stanford. She won the Augusta Women's uh, Invitational. I mean, she's just got a list of fantastic accomplishments in golf, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be her first major. I think Rose Zhang is going to be in the conversation here for the LPGA Championship and even the U.S. Open. Um, you know, being you know being from Cali, um, I'm don't I'm, I want to I'm gonna go out on a limb. I could be wrong and say she's probably played Pebble Beach before, but again. Wherever she plays, I mean, she she's 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 a definitely a phenomenal talent. And I think she's going to be one of the names that's going to be in the mix for one of these majors. And this will be her first start in a major. So will she kind of repeat what Lilia Vu did to win the the Chevron first start, first win? It all could happen. So keep your eye out for that. For the men, the U.S. Open start on Thursday, the third major of the year. Matt Fitzpatrick is your defending champion, so he won last year at Brookline. So this year, they're on the West Coast. They're at Los Angeles Country Club. This is the first time they've hosted the the, the event. Um, And it looks like the USGA is going to be um, doing a lot of this West Coast kind of stuff. So I think Pebble Beach is back on the menu uh, for the, the U.S. Open again, um, I want to say, not Riviera, um, there's one other course in California. Yeah, they're going back to Los Angeles Country Club in about f- several years from now. And so, so the USGA is really pushing to play a little Pacific golf here. Um, let me give you some names here that I, I'm looking at. So again, we, we, we know what's going on here. Um, this whole PGA LIV uh, joining of forces, if you will, talked about that, talked about that in the last show. But I, I'm gonna be real with you. Um, you've got six names that I'm gonna throw at you, and I, and oddly enough, after I wrote them down, oddly enough, all three of these guys are live guys, LIV guys rather. So you got Cam Smith. So Cam Smith is the defending British Open champ. So he won the Open last last year. Um, definitely. Breakout performance for him in the Open last year. Um, very talented. Um, I was very impressed with just kind of his composure, how he played. I mean, if you've ever watched the Open, you kind of say, well, it's wide open. How could you miss? And it's very easy. I mean, if you've never played golf, that is typically something. Someone, How could you miss all that? Trust me, I miss it all the time and plenty of pros miss it all the time. But also playing overseas, they got those pot bunkers. So it's not like you're walking, you know, down into like a little flat surface. You're literally going into a bowl of sand and you got to fight your way out of that. You don't want to do that. Um, Brooks Kepka, we're talking about the U.S. Open. He's got two of them. I would never count them out at the U.S. Open. And as we know, the USGA really works very hard <laughs> to make the courses long. And to make them as painfully difficult as possible. But I'll kind of talk about the course a little bit in a moment. Dustin Johnson. Um, so DJ got a master's. Got a master's. Um, you know, again, I think somebody who I think could, you know, be someone that you should look for. Other names. Justin Rose. Shane Lowry. So Shane Lowry won the British Open a few years ago. Um, has been doing really well this season. He leads the tour in a couple statistical categories. 
uh, has been placing well. Somebody who I think probably could make a move uh, during the during the open this week. And how about this last name, Tommy Fleetwood? I like his game. I really like Tommy Fleetwood. I'm hoping he can kind of win a major uh, really soon. But Tommy Fleetwood, I think he's quiet. He quietly kind of gets it done. And I think he could possibly sneak up on some folks, sneak up on the leaders uh, in, in this tournament. Um, as far as Los Angeles Country Club, so I was reading a little bit about the course itself. And I saw a video uh, yesterday where I think it was Titleist, so on their Instagram page, and they were saying, oh, check out one of the fairways at Los Angeles Country Club. So the perspective, let me give you this perspective. So they're, so they're standing on one side, so you see a, a, a grass, so you see high grass on the other side, and you see the fairway. So they took a bunch of golf balls and dropped them, and you watched the balls go down and down, down a decline from their side all the way to the other side of the fairway. I'm going, holy crap. <laughs> the USGA, I swear to you, they are dead serious about making the US, the U.S. Open one of the toughest tests in golf. If you have a U.S. Open title, you have accomplished something. And it and in seeing that. It reminded me a lot about uh, Johnny Miller. So actually, this is the 50th anniversary of Johnny Miller winning his U.S. Open title. And Johnny Miller talked about, I think a few years ago, they played at uh, Pinehurst number two. And best analogy ever. He said, trying to hit a ball onto the green at Pinehurst number two is like trying to hit a ball on top of a Volkswagen Beetle. If that isn't the most vivid image, and he's right, because I remember that tournament and those guys were hitting that ball. They hit a ridge. That ball go rolling off or they get on top of the ridge and you hit the putt just wrong. Bye bye ball is going to roll right off the green. So you've got fairways that kind of are declining from left to right. Not not in front of you, not, you know, uh, you know, north, south, however you want to look at it, east, west. So we'll do that. So they're not going declining or inclining north and south their things are declining and inclining east to west which is insane um as we said they make the, the the course long um one article i read talked about half pars where the first hole i believe was a par four you know not terribly long you gotta hit the ball fairly straight you want to go more down the more down the right side than the left side or you're gonna be in the trees then you complete that hole, you turn around, and there's a slightly challenging, I think the next hole is a slightly challenging par five, but one hole in particular that they focused on was number 15. 15 is a par three. They said it's about 100 and, I forget the yardage, I want to say 126, something to that regard. 150 is in my mind, but we'll kind of go with 126. We'll split the difference, okay? But they said... It would play about 80 yards. So you've got pros hitting this ball 80 yards. So a half swing for most of these guys with the with a low with a very low club. And they're hitting it away from the pin. So you've got to also consider what's the wind like. What's the, you know, where the sun is. Um, you also have to consider the pen placement. So these guys are going to be doing some crazy, 
um, some crazy uh, strategies and also hitting the ball in places that they probably normally would because of the deviltry, if you will, of the USGA setting up this course. So what that always means is that typically, not always, the U.S. Open is usually one of those tournaments where, and we've seen this in the past, where if the conditions are crazy with the weather, we saw that at Beth Page a number of years ago, it rained for like two days, um, you know, it, you got over par conditions. So it's not typically uncommon if you have over par at the, uh, if you have over par uh, at the, at the U.S. Open. But again, it's going to be very entertaining to see what's going to happen here at Los Angeles Crunchy Club, you know the weather's going to be beautiful. They're going to get these great vistas, and there are going to be some elevation changes. You know, kind of, uh, you know, unlike that of Pebble Beach. You know, different Pebble Beach. The elevation changes are a little bit different. Um, also, um, not Riviera, but um, oh, that one in La Jolla that they played a few years ago, uh, where that was a uh, Mickelson's home course. But um, they're just going to get it all, and. Hey, tune on in and see if I'm even halfway right. But those are some names I think that will probably be in contention here uh, this week or some names that could you could see up on the leaderboard. And we'll talk about it next time I talk to you because uh, that could be Friday or it might be sometime down the line. But that's all I got for you today. Um, but as I go into my hiatus, keep your eye out for some possible small, short uh, episodes to come, um, trying to get some interviews done. So don't totally leave me alone. You know, keep, keep your, um, keep all your, um, wow, my, my brain is like not working right now. Keep your um, uh, alerts on. <laughs> uh, subscribe to the podcast. Keep your alerts on. Give me a five-star rating if you can. I appreciate you listening. Um, but don't abandon me completely yet. Going to try to get back to you, hopefully, maybe in July around the time, potentially around the time when there is uh, college football uh, media days, maybe kind of give you some updates and some some talk on what's going to happen in the upcoming season. Um, but until all that happens again, thank you for listening to the show. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's your man, Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. And until I talk to you again. In a little while, make sure you continue to take care of yourself, stay healthy, do what you need to do to protect yourself, keep yourself healthy, safe, and more so alive. I like you alive, and I like you being here, and I thank you. And the weather is going to get even hotter, so also remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.